0: Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. It has
1: collapsed in a number of places. There are cars that are overturned.
2: It's been 30 years since the historic Loma Prieta earthquake.
1: There's a fire on Beach Street in the marina.
2: Now, how has the Bay Area changed? What lessons have we learned? And most importantly are we any safer
1: it shook so violently that all three of us thought we were going to die
2: to mark the 30-year anniversary kcbs hosted an hour-long broadcast of retrospective coverage that sought to answer those questions it began at 5.04 pm this past thursday that's 30 years to the minute after the disaster struck
3: my heart is still <laughs> i'm
2: keith Menconi, and for this special edition of kcbs in depth we're going to broadcast an abbreviated version of that hour. Our host will be KCBS anchor Stan Bunger, who was at Candlestick Park covering the third game of the World Series for us at the moment the earth began to shake.
4: I can tell you right now, these people will have something to tell about in the years to come when their grandkids say, what was it like going to the World Series at Candlestick Park? Mike
2: 30 years later, he broadcast our hour of retrospective coverage live from San Francisco's Marina Green near several sites that saw serious damage. He began the broadcast as the city held a remembrance ceremony nearby. As we join Stan, you'll be able to hear a bell chiming in the background, for those who lost their lives during the disaster.
4: 63 deaths around the Bay Area in the Loma Prieta earthquake, more than 3,700 people injured. Total of damage, nobody really knows the number, but estimated at close to $6 billion, 1989. That would equal out to around $11 billion today. Our goal over the next hour is not just to remember what happened in 89, but using the maxim that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it, look forward to see what lessons may have been learned then and how they've been applied as the Bay Area moves into the future. And sitting next to me is a colleague who was working, as I was, for KCBS that night. Mike Colgan, you were in an elevator uh, in a building in downtown San Jose, closer to the epicenter, frankly, than I was at Candlestick Park.
1: Yeah, I was with the Bureau at that time was located at 1st and Taylor, a 13-story building. The Bureau was on the 12th floor. I just stepped into the elevator. And the second I had stepped on the elevator, the elevator started banging really hard, Side to side. Bang, 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 bang. And there was no mistaking, what you know, you're you're at a major earthquake. And uh, just then, uh, we stepped out of the elevator, and then the power failed. And uh, there were two other people on the elevator with me. And all three of us thought that uh, you you really believe the building was going to collapse any second. And, And we just didn't expect to make it out of there.
4: You know, so many stories like yours i was at candlestick park there was a a colleague mike woodley a a sports anchor who was afraid so so deathly afraid that he began to run from the booth pulling all of our broadcast gear with him and these stories were told again and again in the aftermath of that quake. Here we sit 30 years later in an era where a smartphone app can tell you the quake's going to hit before it gets to right. you, where a photo of damage can be found instantly on Twitter or Instagram, where the internet will tell you the epicenter and the magnitude almost instantly. We waited a half hour or an hour
1: to
5: learn that sort of news.
1: You just didn't know how widespread it was. Uh, you know, we got the shot from the helicopter. Uh, talking about the ciphers collapsing, I think that was the first report from the plane. I think it was that, uh, and you just didn't know because you didn't have the access to all this information that uh, that are literally at your fingertips right now. You wound up
4: that night, late that night, early the next morning in Santa Cruz.
1: We got to Santa Cruz about midnight because we heard the Pacific Garden Mall had collapsed and a number of people died there. So Highway 17 was closed. So the only way to get to Santa Cruz was to go all the way around uh, Hollister 129. And so by the time I got to Santa Cruz, it was about midnight and
4: it was debris everywhere. You stayed there for a few days, if I recall correctly. A
1: week. I actually didn't get home for a week, and uh, and you know you're not prepared. Uh, You you just had the clothes on your back because you didn't uh, you didn't have a what they call a go kit now in your in your car. So. We were we were staying in a holiday. The holiday input put up the media because uh, nobody else there. And the next night, uh, there was very little power, but uh, not many businesses opened However, there was of all things a, a pizza parlor as a chain, Shakey's, Shakey's Pizza. Sure. And so I go in there and you get a pizza, and you know pizza parlors they sell cl- shirts. So I got a I got a, a large pizza and I said, give me four shirts, and I, and that's I, all the clothes I had. So I wore the four. The people thought I worked for Shakey's cause for the rest of the week. Uh, uh, I wore well, the because sh- I, I didn't have any other clothes, and you just couldn't get home. So and we didn't have any commercials uh, for for a week.
4: So it was 24/7 uh, just uh, just news. A memory of mine, one that'll never go away, was when the quake hit. Of course, power out all over the Bay Area. The Embarcadero Center high rise where the KCBS studios were based then had its own backup generator. The station had provided its own backup power and there was enough building power to get up the 32 floors to the station. At some point late that night, all of a sudden the station seemed to have gone off the air. In fact, the transmitter was still doing just fine. The studios had lost power because the fuel tank that was in the basement of the building connected to the generator on the top of the building, the line had gotten pinched by the motion of the earthquake and after that got sorted out. Up for the next several days a guy whose name is lost to history he may be listening right now and if so raise your hand we'll salute you cranked by hand diesel fuel from a tank in the basement of the building took it up the elevator to the roof cranked it back into the holding tank on the generator and kept us alive when i found that out two or three days later i said bring him in for an interview we smelled him before we saw him mike thank (laughs) Thank you you. it's great to be with you always great to be with you 30
1: years later we're still here we're
4: still here let's take a break now and check in with kim vestal
2: Once again, this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi, and you're listening to a replay of a live broadcast hosted by KCBS anchor Stan Bunger that took place on the 30th anniversary of Loma Prieta.
1: One resident told me there were possibly people in the building still, although we have no confirmation of that.
2: In just a moment, we'll hear a report that I filed on the work still left to be done to prepare before the next big one hits. And a little bit later, we'll hear from someone who's leading the charge to get that work done. We return now to our Loma Prieta anniversary broadcast taped on Thursday at the Marina Green in San Francisco.
4: Well, a big disaster like Loma Prieta certainly pushes people to do a better job of getting prepared. It's easy to think about it in the immediate aftermath, but as time goes on, the memories fade and so does the sense of urgency. So three decades later, how ready are we today? KCBS reporter Keith Menconi has been looking into that question and joining us live now from the corner of Beach and Divisadero streets, a few
2: blocks from here, where much of the destruction in the Marina District took place that night. It's true, Stan, Loma Prieta was a catalyzing event. The disaster prompted major retrofitting projects around the Bay Area. It also helped to popularize community disaster training programs like the CERT and NERT programs, CERT standing for Community Emergency Response Team Program. Those programs are quite a legacy for the disaster. So I decided to check in on one CERT class in San Jose to see if the memory of Loma Prieta is still weighing on the minds of participants.
3: I'm going to take here of the head and I'm going to practice C-spine precautions. I'm going
2: the CERT the program includes 20 hours of coursework on disaster preparedness, everything from first aid to search and rescue to fire suppression. So what's motivating these San Jose residents to spend their Saturday learning about disasters? Well, for those I spoke with, it is not about Loma Prieta.
3: I don't have a real memory of it, you know. no, I wasn't alive in the 80s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you were not
2: alive in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. No. In fact, now with so many people in the region born after 89, and so many newcomers who have moved here since, It's believed that fewer than half of all Bay Area residents today have any memory at all of the earthquake disaster. Meantime, even for those who do still remember it, the sense of urgency may have faded long ago.
3: We do get a big bump in preparedness right after a big event happens.
2: Cheryl Rabinovich is a disaster mitigation researcher and consultant who studies how we respond to disasters.
3: And people do follow through on that for a couple of months maybe a year, um, but it does fade.
2: Survey results back her up. They show that most Bay Area residents today are not doing enough to prepare, meaning too few have retrofitted their homes, too few have put together an emergency kit, and too few have an emergency plan in place.
1: Okay, pull your wedge out. Pull your wedge out. Take the wedge out. Take it, yeah, there you go.
2: Now, one thing people are doing in higher numbers these days:
1: right, here's this way.
2: taking part in community preparedness programs like this CERT class. Organizers say they've seen a surge in turnout in recent years. Now on three, we live. As Northern California residents witness one disaster after another, they say the desire to pick up emergency skills is growing.
0: One, two, three, Not that fast.
2: <laughs> so, it turns out, even if Loma Prieta isn't on everyone's mind, people are finding their own reasons to come together and get prepared.
3: All right, everybody say earthquake. <laughs>
2: Now, the memory of Loma Prieta it still has a role to play. Cheryl Rabinovich, our disaster mitigation expert, says passing on stories about the disaster is an important way of helping those who weren't there understand what's at stake. At Divisadero and Beach in the Marina District, Keith Manconi, KCBS.
4: Thanks, Keith. And, you know, as I rode over here on the Muni 30 line this afternoon, I realized I was just a block or so from where the worst of it was. I'm joined now by Captain Erica Artisoro's program coordinator for the San Francisco Fire Department's NERT, the Neighborhood Emergency Response Team. NERT was kind of born out of 1989, wasn't it?
3: You're exactly right, and and it was really driven by residents, as as Keith's, you know, people attested to. Residents that lived on the Marina Boulevard were most heavily affected, approached us to ask for training.
4: Let's talk a little about where we are right now, because to our right is where the fire was. To our left is where the Phoenix, the fire boat, got here just in time, really, in some ways to save a big piece of this, of this neighborhood. You're in the fire department now. You must still reflect on the role and the, and the luck and all of it that happened that night.
3: I do. As a program coordinator, it's my, my job to keep those stories alive, and the stories make the preparedness relevant. We are here on the anniversary of the earthquake, but we train in all hazards, and the earthquake is just a reminder, and we had a few little ones this week just to jolt our memory. So let
4: me ask you about a key point in, in Keith's report, which is that we believe the numbers are sort of hard to get your arms around that only about half of the people who may be listening right now who live in the Bay Area have an actual memory of 1989. So for the newcomers, who may have come from a place where it's floods or it's tornadoes. We have a different kind of disaster here. How do you tell them these stories in a way that really gets to them?
3: But I try and talk about um, that those are maybe planned or um, you can get notice for those events, and we have a no-notice environment when it comes to the earthquake. And so um, taking the preparation that they would when they get that three-day storm warning now, um, hearing our voice, hearing us tell the story that they need to get prepared, that is their three-day warning.
4: Before I let you go, if this jogged anybody's interest, what Google search term should somebody use to get involved in something like this?
3: Well, we are the NERT program, so if you live or work here in San Francisco, that's great. The FEMA CERT program, Community Emergency Response Team, is where you can put in your zip code and find a program nearest to you.
4: All right, thanks. Keep up the good work. We appreciate it. Nice to see you. Appreciate Captain it. Erica, thanks for having me you here. You bet. Captain Erica Artasaurus is the program coordinator for the NERT, Neighborhood Emergency Response Team of the San Francisco Fire Department. Let's check the traffic scene for you right now. It's...
2: This is a special edition of KCBS In-Depth, Featuring retrospective coverage of the Loma Prieta earthquake 30 years after the disaster.
1: There is a three story apartment partially down. It looks like a two story apartment now. It looks like a boat about to go under the
2: water. Right now, we're rebroadcasting portions of an hour long show hosted live this past Thursday by KCBS anchor Stan Bunger. That show held during the 5 p.m. hour, making it 30 years to the hour after the earthquake struck.
4: Welcome back to our coverage. I'm Stan Bunger at the Marina Green in San Francisco. 30 years ago at this hour, much of the Bay Area was learning just how bad things were. The news of the fire in the Marina District was getting out. A big fire was burning in Berkeley. We were learning about uh, the destruction at the Bay Bridge where a piece of the bridge had collapsed. And of course, the truly horrible story that uh, developed at the Cypress structure, the Interstate 880 Freeway on the west side of Oakland. One of the people who was there that night was my colleague John Atkinson John you were actually above that and I remember the drama of you telling the world what you saw and it was really kind of hard to believe
0: it was it was Stan it was hard to believe I I remember being over the Cypress freeway uh, as it was uh, as it had already collapsed and looking at down at it from about 1500 feet or so and trying to see exactly what was happening because we didn't have the best angle but you could tell that the the top had collapsed onto the bottom and I remember looking at my pilot as we're circling around just trying to verify with each other, yeah, we are really looking at what we're looking at, because it was something I don't think anybody had ever seen before, and we really didn't totally trust our eyes as to what we were watching
4: well John let me take you back 30 years if we can if we have the audio queued up and listen to the report you delivered to our then colleague Jan Black who was back at Embarcadero Center the KCBS studios
3: John uh, what can you tell us from sky
0: three we are right over the cypress structure and it is just a complete mess it appears as if it has uh, fallen apart right now there are cars all over the place and uh, it has collapsed in a number of places there are cars that are overturned and uh, people running around down there and uh, it does not look like a very pretty sight. Obviously traffic is not getting through. They're coming off the Bay Bridge. It has uh, nowhere to go. Uh, traffic just a complete mess in the area. Again, the cypress structure looks like it is just completely, uh, almost completely in a number of places collapsed and uh, traffic is being stopped in just about every direction. It is uh, like this whole thing is just completely falling apart.
4: There were stories around that. My wife told me from Alameda, she heard a sound, a series of booms uh, around the time of the quake and she I place what it was, but we realized later it was the sound of each of those sections of wow. the Cypress structure pancaking down. And of course, what you saw when you finally arrived on scene there, John, was a scene of devastation. The cars were strewn around and there were dead people underneath that upper deck.
0: Yeah, I, I remember seeing that there were cars that were traveling on the upper portion of the Cypress that had fallen off onto city streets. And that was something I couldn't even comprehend. There were cars on top of the Cypress that were overturned. People were kind of running around, but there were also a lot of people just standing around because I don't think they believed what was going on. And we were trying, I was trying not to think too much about what was in between the upper and the lower deck because that was just a scene of of something I just couldn't comprehend.
4: John Atkinson, our key CBS colleague, still covering traffic in the Bay Area 30 years later. And have we built better since then? Would that happen again in the next quake? We're joined now by Mark Schwetman, a design director in the San Francisco office of Skidmore, Owings and Merrill. Earthquakes, earthquake country, making sure things don't fall down,
5: big stuff. Definitely, definitely. And I was actually uh, a high school student in the Bay Area at the time of Loma Prieta, so I, I remember it very clearly uh, down in the South Bay, and uh, I was actually at uh, water polo practice, in which about half the team ended up on the deck just completely confused as the water was, was sloshing around. So.
4: A quake of that magnitude, we could get one bigger than that. Uh, The seismologists tell us the region around here is capable of that. We're building buildings in San Francisco now that get ever taller. How does this
5: all add up? Well, so much has has been learned and changed uh, since 1989. Pretty much every time there's a big earthquake, much is learned, and new science is developed, and then that science actually trickles pretty quickly into the building codes. And buildings today, are they're much stronger than they were before, they're more resilient than they were before, and all of the systems in the building that protect you in earthquake, besides the structure are much more redundant and much more sophisticated. In addition to the new buildings, actually, the most important thing for most people who don't live in these new buildings is probably all the things that have been done, all the work that's been done on old buildings. So you have large, large significant buildings like, for example, City Hall, which have been base isolated, basically put on big rollers so that they can move independently from an earthquake. You have really small scale buildings like many of the ones around us that have had soft story retrofits. So they might have a big opening for a garage door or a corner market. And those make a soft portion of the building that the heavier part on top moves around on. People have gone back and put steel frames in those. And the unreinforced masonry buildings, some of which collapsed in Loma Prieta, Um, due to state law, actually have, for the most part, been retrofitted. So a huge amount has been done um, to ensure the safety of older buildings, and the newer buildings are sophisticated in in all different ways. And you touched on two things, that terms I don't think we'd ever heard of, at least not
4: in the layperson trade, unreinforced masonry and soft story. The unreinforced masonry ones are pretty obvious. The soft story ones, for a lot of people, are not quite as obvious. And
5: and, uh, I know in some cities, we're not done yet. That's, that's definitely true. There are there are other things that were probably not done yet either, but you think each iteration of these improvements gets finer and, and finer grained. Um, new buildings in particular, I mean, we do a lot of high rise buildings in San Francisco and all around the world. It's very interesting comparing them here and other places. So we do towers in New York, we do towers in San Francisco. Um, simple things like the exit stairs. If there's an earthquake, the building codes that govern the structure of a new building say that it has to survive the earthquake like a Loma Prieta-scale earthquake with really no significant damage. An even bigger earthquake, like a great earthquake scale, the building can be damaged, but the chance of it collapsing has to be incredibly small. So these new buildings are going to ride out a big earthquake. They might be damaged. They won't collapse. But you have to get out of the building.
4: Before we let you go, we're sitting right here on basically mud. Right, (laughs) we're on the Marina Green. This is fill. It wasn't necessarily fill done to the highest standards that you would do it today if you were filling the bay, which you wouldn't do anyway. But we have a lot of that in San Francisco in the East Bay, uh,
5: down along the peninsula in the East Bay. So that's a challenge too. Yeah, and there have been a lot of, a lot of attention has been focused recently on foundation design. You're probably aware of some of the reasons why. Um, when a new building is designed, we work with our colleagues in structural engineering and geotechnical engineering who do extensive studies of the soil of the site. And the idea that because soil is different or is fill or is bad, that doesn't let the building be any safer. So essentially, the, the engineering has to take into account the type of soil they also have uh, extensive historical readings of earthquakes all around the world, and so they use these kind of recordings of earthquakes to apply a simulated earthquake to that soil. And then the result of that tells you we can build a building if we dig a 10-foot hole and fill it with concrete, or maybe we have to drill concrete piles 500 feet into the earth so that they go through the fill and sock it into bedrock. So. Every tall building you see built actually anywhere, but especially in seismic country, the foundation of it is designed specifically for the soil that it sits on. If it wasn't safe to build a building on that soil, you would not see a building there today. I feel better. <laughs> Mark,
4: thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's my pleasure. Mark Swetman is a design director in the San Francisco office of Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill. Let's check the traffic scene right now. Kim Vestal reporting.
2: You're listening to a special edition of KCBS In-Depth. Today, we are replaying portions of a live broadcast hosted by KCBS anchor Stan Bunger, marking the 30th anniversary of the Loma Prieta earthquake disaster.
1: In many streets on the uh, marina area, gas is leaking. The smell of gas is everywhere.
2: We return now to that broadcast taped on location at the Marina Green in San Francisco
4: political leadership during the time of disaster. Jim Taylor joining us now. Jim, you were reporting from the Santa Clara County Bureau for KCBS on uh, that night in 89. You found yourself at the ballpark. When it first happened, I was at Candlestick Park, and
6: within moments I was walking out of that press box. Thankfully, it didn't crash down onto the field, which is what I saw in my mind's eye. That The glass that, one? That afterthought at Candlestick,
4: yeah, right? I mean, yeah. it's up in the third decade. It was a. Show. I <sighs> thought we were either going to fall off or be sliced to death by Big pieces of plate glass.
6: I had no idea that it was anything other than the last night of my life, okay? (laughs) But I walked out of there and ran into Art Agnos, the mayor of San Francisco, and he was kind of like me. We were both feeling the joy of the moment, frankly. Uh, What a cool earthquake. We're coming back, the giants. And he in fact said, a thunderbolt from Olympus. He's a Greek dude, right? And he said that the giants are coming back. In within, I would say, 20 seconds, he was approached by a couple of police officers who informed him that everything was much more serious than that, and that was the end of that. For the next two weeks, he was the mayor of America. We called Giuliani that after 9-11, but uh, Agnos was there morning, day, and night numerous newscasts uh, uh, press conferences all day long and he was as he even said to me just the other day I was the man of the moment everybody was looking to me And it it may sound egotistical, but it was true. He was the guy to whom we were looking for. He governed with compassion and power and passion uh,
4: in that moment. And it was uh, refreshing to see. It was good. He was good. Let's bring in KCBS and Chronicle Insider Phil Mateer. You have uh, hung out with and jousted with a few politicians over the years, Phil. And nobody asks for a moment like what happened at 5.04 p.m. 30 years ago today, but when it happened to Art Agnos, as Jim just said, he was the man of the hour.
7: Yes, he was, and he was down in the marina. I remember him being there. Uh, It was an interesting hour as well. But also, let's not forget that San Francisco being San Francisco, we raised a couple of issues. Jim, remember, but Art Agnos took on the Red Cross shortly after that, raising questions about how they were raising money and how much of it was coming to San Francisco. It didn't necessarily Necessarily set well because at that time uh, people were just sort of supposed to be, you know, asking for help and being uh, nice about it. Uh, he raised some questions, his administration did, and led to some reforms uh, in the uh, b- how the uh, Red Cross uh, handles situations. So even on this one, it had our local, and it had a domino effect across uh, even on uh, 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 rescue and cleanups.
6: It was a good feeling moment, right, Phil? I mean, as as the mayor told me, he said we had no looting.
7: We had no rioting,
6: we had nothing like that, and other cities in these sort of situations may have experienced that sort of thing and even expected them, not here. And as he said, we showed the
7: world, we showed the world. And then the world came to San Francisco to, to see it. We were, the, you know, the center of the news universe then. It's changed a lot of what we're doing and will continue to change a lot of what we're doing uh, and how we, uh, everything about from, uh, as you've been reporting, from ferries to even building another BART tunnel in case uh, there is another earthquake. So we have two systems there. We've grown tremendously since then. The number of people that have moved in, uh, we're still t- uh, close to a disaster every Every year here and we, we, we push through it and, and when we learn from them, uh, we make some mistakes on them too and uh, but we keep moving
4: and art was part of that as well. Well, Phil, let's spend the next minute, though, talking about where we are now and where we go in the next 30 years, because the Bay Area has grown tremendously. The inequities here have grown tremendously. The number of people on the street has exploded in the last couple of years. There's a sense, among many, that things are a little frayed. And what if we were to have another go like that? Well, you— Always hope
7: that it doesn't happen. You're, we're always we're, we're, you have to be a little bit uh, in denial when you live here. You live in an area where everybody opens it up by saying, you know, the next big one's coming and then you sort of move on. Uh, you have to take stock because what happened, Stan, we saw it then and we'll see it the next time. For the first three days, you have to figure you're on your own. That's how it operates, whether it's water or this, or you have your house bolted down. I think that as, as we have dealing with these problems and you're talking about there's more of us, there's this, there's that, we won't know until the next one comes. But people are people, and the people here, I think, would react in, in very much the same way. We 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 take our troubles, we try to work them out, but we, we we keep it within bounds. And when the big one hits, we're pretty practiced. We've had a lot of f- smaller fire drills.
4: Keep a good thought, Phil. All right, thank you, guys. Jim Taylor and KCBS and Chronicle insider Phil Matera. Let's check traffic now with Kim Bessler.
2: That concludes our special coverage of the Loma Prieta earthquake's 30-year anniversary. This has been KCBS In-Depth. Remember, you can find every edition of In-Depth, including this one, online at kcbsradio.com. There you can also find a recording of the full, unabridged hour of our Loma Prieta special coverage broadcast this past Thursday. Just look for audio on demand. This program was produced by Nick Palmer as well as Eric Brooks and Don Bastida. Special thanks to Jeff Levine. Thank you for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Benconi. We'll see you next time.
0: You've just heard KCBS In Depth, a news interview program for All News 740 and FM 1069 KCBS.